All right, let's turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 3 tonight. We'll break into chapter 3, five verses tonight. The title, you're not going to like it, but it is what it is, In the School of Affliction. And brothers, this school is free. No tuition required. All that is needed is you say yes to Jesus, and you're in school. The school of affliction. Crazy. Let's read chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this, for in fact we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened and you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. So here Paul continuing in this theme of really sharing with the Thessalonians what was taking place, why he couldn't make it, what happened. And, and again, we see his incredible heart for them. He uses, uses the phrase, no longer endure it twice. He could no longer endure it. Man, we just got to find out what's going on. So him and Silas send Tim. He sends Tim. Now, remember, this is probably Paul's first book written. So Tim is still new in the scene. So what does he do here? He says he, he establishes Tim as one who is someone that they could really trust in, someone they could look to that they know is going to bring Paul's heart. He says to him, we sent Timothy, he's our brother. Paul called him a brother. He's our brother and minister of God. He wasn't just a brother, he wasn't just a lay person, he was a minister, but also a fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to do what? To establish and encourage you concerning the faith so that they would not be shaken. He sends his ambassador that they might be, not be shaken by these afflictions. And, of course, Paul, in using these wordings here, he's talking about the fact that not only did Paul and the guys suffer affliction, but they suffered and that we all suffer affliction. What was its great concern? Verse 5, for this reason, when I could no longer endure, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you. Now, if you remember two weeks ago, the title of the message was The Work of the Enemy. And, of course, we saw the work of the enemy in hindering Paul from going. And, again, Paul is referring to the fact the enemy was working in their camp as well. But a little little precursor to next year, the good news is, the great news is, if you read verse 6, Timothy comes with the great news that all of Paul's concerns, all of his, his anxiety, all his angst over what is happening with the faith of the Thessalonians was all for naught. Don't you hate it when you go down that rabbit hole, that path, and you're like, you're already out here, and the most horrible thing has happened in your life, and your shirts, oh my gosh, and then only you find out, oh, there's no problem at all. It's kind of what Paul ended up doing here. So tonight, of course, we're talking about this idea of the school of affliction, and of course, Paul concerned that somehow the enemy might have gotten a foothold 
in, in, in this cracking that door open in the Thessalonians' faith that caused some of them to fall away using the, the tactics we talked about two weeks ago of deception and lies, of these afflictions. And afflictions just means simply the pressures or the tests of faith in suffering. And, of course, Paul knew firsthand about this. <laughs> the brother who suffered probably the most of any of the apostles. But also he sees what's taking place with the Thessalonians. And, and of course, all the Christians at this time were suffering gravely. Of course, many of them losing their lives. His concern, though, would they survive their faith? Would they pass the test? Or would they stumble and fall away? And brothers, that's the same as it's been for thousands of years. Sitting right in this room here have been many men who have come and gone. Come and gone. Fired up for Jesus, on fire in faith. Then something happens. Affliction comes. Temptation comes. Trials come. And they find themselves back. Back into the world. And guys, as men of the word, it's vital, it is imperative, it is ultimately life and death that we learn how to navigate these afflictions, this life of afflictions. Too many Christians, as we know, too many brothers are falling away because they can't cope. They can't deal with it. It's too hard. Is it, is it getting harder or is it getting easier out there? Harder, yes. And guys, we got to, we got to get to that place where we're our faith is rock solid, and no matter what comes our way, that when that temptation does come, we're not going to fall away. Of course, in the last days, we know there's a great apostasy that takes place, especially in the tribulation period. But leading up to that point in time, which I believe we're in now, we're seeing a falling away. We're seeing a falling away from the church. And tonight, in this, this idea of the school of affliction, how do we cope? How do we handle the onslaught of the enemy, the constant trials, the oppressive pressures, the, the tests of faith that can, that can bring doubts to us. All the while, though, believing and understanding that this is ultimately part of God's plan. You remember for the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 8, it's clear there, Moses writing that, that he, you know, they were in the wilderness 40 years, and it says there that God wanted to test their hearts to see if they would remain faithful to him, if they would be obedient to the word. Tests are part of God's plan for our lives. As much as salvation, as much as eternal life, as much as joy and blessing, the tests that come. And see, the, the, the hardest part about this and the most difficult thing about this Christian walk is when those afflictions come our way that don't make any sense. I don't know if you guys have heard that we've been praying for um, one of the pastors at Calvary Chapel uh, Ventura were Pastor Don Modulin, who used to be here on staff. He's a senior pastor now. He was a children's ministry pastor. And a week ago from Sunday, you know, just driving home from church like all of us was, well, there was winds there in Ventura, and a tree fell on his car, snapped his neck at the C2 vertebrae. He's on life support as we speak right now. Married, four kids, 16 to 23. Three daughters, one son. Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. That's the kind of thing that if we don't come to grips with even something like that. And, and my thought is, I've been praying about this thing, and I saw your hand, but I'll, I'll get your question when we're done. 
Okay, amen, in Jesus' name. But um, was like, okay, Lord. I mean, this guy, him and his wife, they were missionaries in China for 10 years. Doing the work of the Lord. They come back to Don's church. They're doing a great work in children's ministry. What are the odds? And I've been scratching my head. It's like, Lord, why didn't you take him there? I was told that they worked on him for like 30 minutes, trying to, you know, resuscitate the heart. And they did. But, of course, in that time, the brain didn't receive enough oxygen. And so the family is now faced with the most horrible decision that you can imagine. They have to decide. They have to decide. Terrible. Man. Now, of course, these type of afflictions, this isn't something that happens every day, but we're going through afflictions, and these kind of things can stumble us. These kind of things can bring us to the place like, wait a minute. Man. But we got to pass these tests no matter what comes our way because we are in the middle, right in this room right here. I know there's afflictions going on. I know there's life going on. There's things happening, things that are like testing your faith. So tonight, school's in session, four different lessons that we're going to learn for the veteran in the room here tonight. This is a good reminder for you. For those of you that are new in the Lord, this is, this is where you learn these things that are going to help you when you get to the place where you've been walking with Christ for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. So number one, in the school of affliction, number one, verse one and two, we learn reassurance from others is vital. What did Paul do here? Verse one of chapter three, therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone, him and Silas, and sent Timothy, our brother. Why did he send Tim? We talked about this a bit. We sent Tim to establish you and to encourage you concerning your faith. Paul, so concerned and ultimately believing that Tim's presence would bring a sense of calm and peace and comfort and encouragement to the hearts. He was a brother, a minister, a fellow laborer, but someone that, that could be trusted. This is the great apostle Paul sending this man, his ambassador, so to speak. Paul couldn't make it. For whatever reason, he's hindered. He sends Tim. But he sends them sends him to come and reassure the believers there. Now, if you've ever been in a major surgery of sorts, now, when you go in for a hospital visit like that and you're going to have major surgery, it can be a little intimidating. I've had, I've had three back surgeries. And I remember the first one, I was younger then, back in 96. Man, I went in, ah, you know, piece of cake, you know, cool, let's go, right, whatever. Well, the second one that came in 2003, that one there got me. For some reason, the enemy started working me, and I'm in there, and I'm telling you what, the anxiety level, this like heart palpitating, but the cool thing about it is, is you, if you've been in that scene before, the nurses all come in, right, and they start you know, do, putting the IV in and talking to you and, and encouraging you and everything. Then, of course, the anesthesiologist comes and talks to you and kind of walks you through the procedure, what's going to happen, and, and he's got you covered, and you know, he talks to you about if there have any reactions to anesthesia, this, that, and everything. Well, then finally your doctor shows up after he's played golf all morning, and he shows up, and he comes in, though. And what does he do? See, all that, that whole team, they're there, man. They're giving you thumbs up. This is going to be great. You're looking good. Things are going to be fine. The doctor says it's going to be a piece of cake. You ain't going to die. What does that do to your heart? Reassures you. Gives you peace that, yes, I am going to come out of this thing. And, of course, this is what Paul's heart and sin of Timothy was. 
He sent him, one, to establish, means to support or to build up or to strengthen. And number two, to encourage, to come alongside, to, to motivate them. And, of course, here again, guys, this is, this is the reason why we gather as, as brothers. This is why we gather in the church. We come together to encourage and, and reassure one another. We, of course, we know this passage of Scripture in Hebrews 10, verse 23. You don't got to turn there. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And that's what we're here for. We're, we're stirring up. When I, when I told you to, to greet the person next to you, tell them that you're glad that they're here. Because the person next to you, it's encouraging when we come together. We're stirring up love and good works. We're not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as some, in the manner of some. But we're exhorting one another and all the more. And so much more as you see the day. What day? The day approaching. Guys, we need the encouragement of coming together. And, of course, this is why we gather. This is why Paul sent Tim to encourage these. So we come and we get reassured, but we come and we reassure each other. And so when you break up into your groups, that's what that's, that's, that's for. You guys are you're encouraging, you're, you're ministering one to another, you're, you're putting your arm around, you're lifting each other up, you're hearing the stories and situations of life, and you're praying for one another. So number one, we learn the reassurance from others is vital. Number two, in the school of affliction, we learn not to be shaken, not to be shaken. He sends Tim to establish, to encourage, number three, verse three, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. No one. Easy to say, hard to do, amen? Especially if you've been in the middle of it. And this word shaken means to be moved or agitated or distressed. And when the trials come, when the affliction sits, we're not moved. Why? Of course, we've been in fellowship. We've been in fellowship with the Lord. We've been in the Word, of course, one of the most important things that we can do. But also, we don't believe the lies. Remember, we talked two weeks ago about the lies of the enemy. We don't believe those lies. It's not according to God's Word. We don't believe them. But also because we have been reassured. We've been reassured by each other. And, of course, Paul, Paul knew this. And I, I imagine Paul, when he was sent in Timothy, he gave him instructions told Tim, okay, Tim, this is how you minister. This is how you encourage. This is how you come alongside. This is how you help establish them. And turn with me to Acts chapter 20, and we're going to see Paul, as he learned this lesson himself, recording Paul's conversation and such in the book of Acts. Of course, Luke, the author, he's writing this story here, and in this process, we see Paul in his second missionary journey. And he's on his way to Jerusalem. And he wants to get there by Pentecost. And he's going through all different things. So Acts chapter 20, and we'll pick up the story in verse 17. And the idea, of course, here is that, that Paul learned a lesson on how not to be shaken in the midst of the afflictions that were promised to come his way. So verse 17, of course, this is speaking of Paul. From Miletus, he, Paul, sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me 
by the plotting of the Jews. Of course, Paul going through many afflictions already in his walk. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also Greeks repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. Verse 23 is a kicker. Can you believe this? Except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Now, how many of you guys would have stopped in whatever city that was when those, that revelation came from the Holy Spirit and said, I think this is far enough. And yet Paul keeps on going. Verse 24, a life verse here, guys. This should be in your heart, memorized. What does he say? None of these things move me. In Paul's trials and afflictions, spoken by the Spirit, Paul was not moved. He knew afflictions were coming. He was not caught off guard. And, of course, in the school of affliction, we're learning this. We're not going to be caught off guard. We're not going to be shaken. None of these things are going to move me. No, I'm not going to be moved by this. Paul wasn't deterred. Paul didn't get off course. He knew where he was supposed to go. Number two, though, he says, nor do I count my life dear to myself. That's the key right there. That's the key. Nothing's going to move me because I, I could really care less about this life. I could care less about what happens to me. And, of course, Paul, speaking of the fact that he knew that eventually he was going to die. None of us in this room are concerned at all about us dying because of our faith. We're more concerned about the things of this earth and this world. See, Paul wasn't earthly-minded. He was heavenly-minded. Paul was not of this world concerned with the things of man. Paul was, his only concern was that the gospel was preached. How simple the instruction here. And yet for us, can we say the same thing? Oh, no way. I'm way concerned about the things of this earth. I heard some people talking today about the stock market. I think the guys up on stage here were talking about, you know, how this is going on, that's going on. And, of course, we're in this world. But the key to not be shaken and not be moved is to learn how to still live in this world but not live of this world and not be moved by these things that come our way. Why? Number three, that I may finish my race with joy. Are we finishing with joy, guys? Because the race could be over tonight. The Lord could just, it's it, it's done, we're gone. Wouldn't that be a glorious thing? <laughs> Amen. Or you or my race could be over tonight. We, we might not make it home. There's no guarantee. Now, probably we're going to. You know, I wouldn't call your wife up and say, hey, I might not make it home tonight, hon. <laughs> Don't do that. But the, the thing here is that we, are we going to finish with joy? The joy of the Lord. The joy from the Lord that comes from no other place. Paul's joy, it came because he knew where he was going. And, of course, he had the insight and he was lucky enough to be caught up into paradise. He knew what it was like already. He knew where he was going. He was going to finish his race with joy no matter what happened, guys. Are we going to finish with joy? Or are we going to be so caught up in the things of this earth, so caught up in the things of the world, so in turmoil about what we see, what's happening, and oh, just where you're just, the joy is sucked out of you completely. 
You're a joyless Christian. That's another oxymoron. It can't happen. It can't be that way. Christians should be joyful more than anybody, especially this time of the year. I mean, this is it. This is the reason for the season. It's all because of Jesus. Perfect opportunity to be joyful. And then lastly, number four, and the ministry which I received from the Lord to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul was not moved because he didn't count his life dear. He was joyful, but also Paul had found his purpose in life. He was to do one thing and one thing only. Preach the gospel. Testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul knew what God wanted him to do. And Paul was faithful. Simple instructions here, guys. And if you're caught up in just preaching the gospel, and I've said it many times before, when we go on mission trips, we don't care what's going on at all in Colombia. I don't care what's happening in the Philippines. I don't care if Manny Pacquiao wins or not. Is that election still happening? I don't even know. Who cares? We're there for one reason, the gospel. Think how much more peaceful and joyful your life would be if all you cared about while you were here in the United States in Southern California is preaching the gospel. That's it. I'm, I'm here to preach the gospel. That's it. All you other people, you can all worry about all the other things that are going on in this crazy world, all the different stuff that's happened. No, no, no. I'm going to preach the gospel. That's how we're not moved. That's how we're not shaken. Number one, we don't believe the lies. We've talked about this. Don't entertain them. We don't get knocked off course. We keep armored up. But also, number two, I trust in the Lord with all of my heart. I lean not on my own understanding. And I'm always acknowledge him. He'll direct my path. But Psalm 125, we talked about this. Those who trust in the Lord are like who? Like Mount Zion, which can't be moved. When I trust the Lord completely with all of my heart. Scripture, I promise, I can't be moved. I can't be moved. Why? I'm trusting the Lord. He's got my life in His hands. He's got everything in control. Even if an affliction comes my way that makes no sense at all. But number three, I keep my focus on Jesus. Pastor Jeff talked about this passage in Hebrews Sunday. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run our race with what? Were you guys here Sunday morning? With endurance. How do we run with endurance? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of God, receiving his reward. Guys, we got to run with endurance. we got to keep our focus on Jesus. So number two, we learn not to be shaken. But number three, in the school of affliction, number three, we learn that all go through it. Now, have you ever been in a place where you're in the middle of a trial or something, and you think, man, ain't nobody else going through what I'm going through? Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Now, that might be true in some specific instances and cases. None of us in this room right now are dealing with what Pete's family is dealing with. Am I right? But we're all dealing with something. And that's, that's the, the fellowship of suffering, guys. Not only with Christ, but with each other. 
we learn that I'll go through it. Verse 3, he says, For you yourself know that we are appointed to this, for in fact we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened and you know. Appointed means that such was the divine arrangement. Some translations out there say that this is your destiny. For you yourselves know that you were appointed or this is your destiny. I like appointed a little bit better. Destiny, when you think about destiny, it's like, this is my destiny. Whoa, great, destiny, suffering, trials, affliction. I'm not so cool with that. But really, no one who professed Christianity, no one who professes Christianity can hope or could hope to be exempted from trials. For it was the common lot of all believers. It is all of us. It's, if there's a common denominator in this room beside Jesus, guess what it is? The school of affliction. I know that makes you all excited, though. Everybody's cheering, roaring, yeah. <laughs> Yippee. Can't wait for that, Lord. Great. See, something like this, you're not going to hear this in Joel Osteen's church. Guarantee you. Ain't going to come across the pulpit. No way, no how. And yet, this is the full gospel. It ain't all green lights and blue skies. It ain't all in and outs and french fries, baby, like we could go for right now. Amen? In the school of affliction, number one, we learn that affliction is God's will. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. Guys, you're going through the book here. 1 Peter chapter 4, to the right. We know this passage of Scripture. We studied this book, of course. This is that famous verse in chapter 4 where Peter says, in verse 12, Beloved, don't think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. It isn't a strange thing, guys. As some something, this is, oh, this is completely unusual. This is not normal. No, it's not. It is normal. Jesus, as we'll see, he suffered. Verse 13, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, when he comes back, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. There will be, there is a reward, brothers, when we endure these sufferings. And if you reproach for the name of Christ, verse 14, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. When afflictions and persecutions come from the non-believers, from your unsafe family and friends, your co-workers who mock you and ridicule you and make fun of you, man, you're blessed. That's part of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are reviled for my sake. For great is their reward in heaven. Verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, of course, a thief, an evildoer, as a busybody in other people's affair. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. So important, guys. We have an incredible opportunity that when we're going through this to glorify God, and there's no doubt in my mind that the wife of Pete, Katz, and those kids, they're rock solid in their faith. They're going to glorify God in this matter. He is going to receive glory for their faith. Verse 17, though, for the time has come for judgment to begin to the house of God. If it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? 
Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Not in a good place. Verse 19, though. Therefore, let those who suffer, here it is, according to the will of God, commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator, you guys. We suffer according to the will of God. It is part of his plan, and God will use it as a witness for his glory in our lives to other believers. If, of course, we react properly. Now, if you are suffering in a way and you are reacting in a way that's worse than the non-believer, then you're doing the Lord a discredit. You're bringing shame to his name. The non-believer is looking around going, isn't that, I thought that dude was a Christian. Yet he's freaking out because he's got a flat tire and he's crying and he's calling his wife and he's all big. Flat tire, huh? We can be used by God in these things. We've got to understand, though, that I'll go through it. In Acts 14, I won't tell you to go there, but this is an incredible story of Paul, of course, recorded, and he's preaching there, doing a great work. And then, of course, the Jews stirred up the people, and this is the story where they get Paul and they stone him. They stone him. And they basically, they drag his body out of the city and they leave him for dead. So here, here's Paul. Basically, this is where they believe, of course, he died in a sense, went to heaven, in the body, out of the body. No one knows, but he was there, flatlined. Who knows? Did he die? Did he go to heaven? God showed him a glimpse and said, now you got to go back. Paul's like, please, no. Wakes up. But look at what he does. Paul He's, he's recorded as saying this to the disciples because they go back into the city. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples. He returns back to the place where he was stoned and left for dead, exhorting them to continue in the faith. Do you think they were shaken by what they saw? Could you imagine that? Watching the leader of the church the great apostle Paul, stoned, left for dead. He's dead, he's dead, oh no. But of course, they got to see him be resurrected. But he exhorts them to continue in faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. You're not going to hear Joel Osteen preach about that either or any of those churches. No, you're not going to give the people the bad news. Give them only the good news. Does that mean, does that really encourage you that we must, through many tribulations, meaning this is what it's going to take, this is what's going to happen before we go to heaven? Amen? Oh, that was, that was weak. Amen? Amen. <laughs> no, I'm right there with you, brothers. It's like, no, Lord, please, let Bob suffer all those. I don't want to. Let Brett, let Ben, let Mark, everybody else. No, we learned that affliction is God's will. Of course, we learn that affliction is used by God. And also, number three, we learn that all are appointed. And here in 1 Peter chapter 5, we talked about this as well, verse 8 through 11. Paul, I mean, Peter, of course, telling the people, hey, you know what? Watch out for the roaring lion. You know, be sober, be, be clear-headed, 
your adversary, the devil, seeking who he may devour. Be steadfast in the faith, knowing, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. We're not in this guys alone. We're all in this together. We learn that all go through it. And Paul in Corinthians, no temptation has come upon you except that which is common to man. So don't think it's strange. This is the fellowship of suffering that we go through. And, of course, this is what brings so much of the, the fellowship that we are having. It isn't always the joy. We have the joy. The joy comes. We have the great times. Next week, man, we're going to be chowing down, having a great time, worship, a great word from Pastor Bill. Man, it doesn't get any better than that. But when we're going through it, we know we have this fellowship. We can call. We can text. We can come to church. Dudes, I'm really going through it. This is a tough one, man. I'm not sure if I'm going to make it. Anybody ever felt like that? Anybody felt like I'm throwing in the towel? And then the Lord directs your buddy, your brother, whatever, to give you a text, give you a call. Hey, Lord puts you on my heart. Everything okay. You're doing good. Thank you, Jesus. So number four in the school of affliction, though, we learn our faith will be tested. For this reason, verse 5, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith. Right there it is. I sent to know your faith. Lest by some means, and here it is, the work of the enemy, the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. Paul would have been so bummed to hear that, that many of the Thessalonian believers had fallen away. But we're gonna, we learn, though, Paul's great concern. Man, the devil had won. They'd given in to the temptations, the lies, the tactics. They'd fallen their faith had been lost. And, of course, if you learn anything in our Christianity, you walk with the Lord longer in a day or two. Man, it's the afflictions of suffering, especially when it don't make sense. That's the greatest challenges to our faith right there. The school of affliction, though, we learn, number one, that tests are Satan's plans for us to stumble. Remember, threefold plan, still kill, destroy, still kill, destroy, still, that's it. Wanting us to do what he tempted Job to do, to curse God to his face and then go out and die. That's Satan's plan, but tests are God's plan for our faith to grow. Our faith to grow. 1 Peter chapter 1, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Love this. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need, you've been grieved by various trials. What? So that the genuineness of your faith, which is much more precious than gold, which is tested by fire, may be found to praise honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom you're not seeing, you love, and though you're not seeing him now, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. So what is this whole thing about, these, these tests? Refining our faith. We are going to be tested, though it is tested by fire, that it may be found to praise, honor, and glory 
In the school of affliction, we see right up front, tests are God's plan for our faith to grow. The examples we have in Scripture, Abraham. Think about Abraham. Genesis 22, we know the story. And it says clearly right there, God was testing Abraham's heart. Testing him. So how did he test him? Abraham, take your son, your only son. Follow me. We're going to take him out. I'm going to see if her faith is really real. Could you imagine that? The test, would he believe God's promise? To give him a son, to make him a mighty nation, to believe that God could even raise the dead. Abraham passed that test. Romans tells us, for he did not waver at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. For he was persuaded, he was convinced that he who had promised was fully able to complete it. How about Joseph? Story of Joseph there in Genesis. What, what, a, what a test that guy went through, huh? Thrown into the pit, sold to the Midianites, sent and, and then into Potiphar's house, doing good. And lo and behold, the temptation comes. He passes that test, and yet he's still thrown in jail. He goes to jail. He tells the, the dreams of the butler and the baker. They forget about him. He spends more time in jail finally gets out, finally the story starts turning, finally things start coming around, and yet through it all. The end there in Genesis chapter 50, man, what does he say? What you meant to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. Have you been able to say that in any of your afflictions? Have you been able to come to the place where, man, you know, Lord, yeah, the devil meant this for evil, but you meant it for good. You meant it for good. Wow. Joseph passed the test. But the children of Israel, Deuteronomy, as I talked about, man, 40 years in the wilderness, are you going to obey? And think of the afflictions they went through in the wilderness. Of course, all their fault, the things that they did, especially when the spies went, and only two came back with a good report? Man, would they follow God's commands? They, they did so-so in, in their test there, didn't they? Not the best. But the Apostle Paul, of course, go to 2 Corinthians 11. You see that whole list of all the physical trials that he went through. The test, would he faithfully serve God through these afflictions? And you remember when Paul got saved, remember when... He was blinded, and Ananias comes and prays for him. Right then and there in the testimony, it's recorded that Jesus told him the things that he was going to have to suffer right up front. That wouldn't be too encouraging. But then how about Jesus himself in Hebrews, who learned obedience to the things he suffered? The test, would he accept God's plan for our salvation? Guys, your faith will be tested because your faith has to be tested. It has to be tested. Why? Faith that is not tested is faith that cannot be trusted. And when you go through these afflictions, when you go through these tests, the school of affliction, when you pass these tests, when you get to the place where you, you, you are enduring and you're looking back and you're going, 
man, that was tough. Man, that was rough. But guess what? We're all still here tonight. We're all still standing. You're passing these tests. Sometimes you get an A. Sometimes you get maybe a C minus. But a C minus is still a passing grade, amen? Or maybe, or maybe I think what is, F's probably a passing grade in school nowadays. Oh, got an F, no problem. You, uh, at least you got an F. Sorry. It's when the afflictions come, guys, and we, by faith, prevail. Man, that's what makes mighty men of God. That's what this world needs. So application, guys, tonight, number one, when the afflictions come, we keep our focus on the Lord, of course. And, and Pastor Jeff covered this as well. This is the story of Moses in Hebrew 11. I love this. Moses, of course, the story of his faith, his walk, walking through this thing, who, who didn't consider the, the pleasures of, of, the, of Egypt and the Pharaoh and all this. He refused all that. Why did he refuse it? No, that's not what I'm saying, Siri. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the world, you guys. Again, we're looking beyond this life. We're looking beyond these afflictions. We're looking, we're looking over the trial. Moses, verse 27 of chapter 11 of Hebrews, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured, guys, as what? as seeing him who is invisible. Guys, you got to see Jesus in this. you got to see Jesus in your afflictions. you got to see him. How do you see him? You see him in the word. You see him in prayer. You see him in fellowship. You see him staying close. And, of course, ultimately, when we come to those places of those trials and those afflictions come, I don't know about you, but that's really ultimately when you're the closest to Jesus, right? It's kind of crazy. And that's why Paul said there in 2 Corinthians 12, hey, I rather boast of my afflictions. I take pleasure. Crazy man, I take pleasure. Why? That's when I was the strongest. That's when I'm the strongest in the Lord, when I'm going through it the most. I keep my focus on the Lord. Number two, I keep my attitude positive. I stay positive. James, James talks about this. When he, when he talks about these trials, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the test of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect worth, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So I keep my eyes on that, realizing that as I'm going through this affliction, this trial, whatever, God is perfecting me. He's developing the patience that says, you know what? There's going to come a reward. I'm going to get through this thing. And when I get through it, when I get to heaven, when I'm received by the Lord, when he says, well done, good and faithful servant, man, we receive our crowns, and we're just going to cast them at his feet. Attitude positive. My afflictions are producing in me a faith that will be invincible, rock solid, able to stand anything, and a patience that speaks of a beautiful trust in the Lord. Do you have that type of patience? A beautiful trust. In the Lord. Count it all joy, guys. Tests are a good thing, not to be feared, but to be accepted. Remember that, that old saying, that which does not kill me only makes me stronger. And number three, of course, remember that God knows. Gotta be, you gotta remember, sometimes you get out there and we're thinking, Lord, really? 
Have you forgotten me? I think it's Psalm 71. It's, that's, it's an incredible psalm where the psalmist is basically says, for the most part, you don't even know what's going on in my life. And, of course, they're all lies to the enemy. God knows Psalm 31, 7. Super important, you guys, to tell yourself that he knows. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul. God sees you guys. He knows. Don't ever lose sight of that. Don't ever let the enemy rip you off saying, God doesn't care about you anymore. He doesn't even know what's going on in your life. He doesn't know the trials you're in. He doesn't know how deep you've gone. He doesn't know the struggles, the finances and such. No, no. Remember, God knows, guys. And then number four, though, you're not really going to like this much either, but get ready for finals. Get ready for finals. In this passage of Scripture in Jeremiah, poor Jeremiah, what he endured, what he went through. But he's pretty much complaining, crying out to God like, hey, Lord, this is getting to be too much. And this is the response. So, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 12, 5, if you're worn out in this foot race with men, what makes you think you can race against the horses? And if you can't keep your wits during times of calm, what's going to happen when troubles break loose like the Jordan in flood? These affliction guys, if there's anything we read, we see, we hear, especially in Scripture in the last days, Perilous times will come. It's going to get worse, not better. And so for us, if we're going to stay in this race, if we're going to maintain our faith, if we're going to continue, we're going to finish with joy, we've we got to get ready. We've got to be prepared. We've got to know what's coming our way. And now is not the time to be sitting back taking it easy as a Christian man. And, of course, I'm preaching to the choir because you guys are all here on a Tuesday night. I know you guys are fired up. I know you guys are here. I know you guys are doing these very things. But, again, remind yourself that it will wax worse. It's not supposed to get better. We look around the world. It's, it's not hard to even figure that one out at all. Goodness. Now is not the time to put down the armor. Now is the time to take up the armor, keep it on, Every single day, every moment, mindful of the schemes of the devil, walking in faith, walking in power, walking in the promise that the Lord is there with you. He's holding your hand. He's walking you through these trials. He will walk you through these trials. He will walk you through the valley of the shadow of death. No doubt about it. It's a promise. And we hold on to these promises. We stay, we stay strong in faith. We're not shaken. We're not moved. Eyes are on Jesus knowing that he could come today, he could come tomorrow, and if not, I'm going to see him sooner or later. In my case, and most of us, it's going to be sooner rather than later. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Larry's back there clapping because he's turning 69. <laughs> You'll be there quick, brother. <laughs> Let's all stand, guys. Let's pray, get you to your group so you can hang out and you can have that fellowship of suffering. Sharing trials, encouraging one another, reassuring one another to keep walking strong. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the example of the Apostle Paul. Thank you for these Thessalonians, Lord. And we'll see next year when we get back together how they maintained, how their faith was strong, how they were built up. So, Lord, bless the guys tonight. Continue, Lord, to remind them that 
in these trials, these afflictions, we are all in this together. And Lord, we do um, say a special prayer as we lift up Pete's family to you even now. Even now, Lord, would you be their strength? Would you be their peace? Would you be their, their anchor, Lord, their rock, while their life has been completely turned upside down? Lord, show yourself strong on their behalf and uh, amaze them, Lord, especially the kids, of how faithful you are. So, Lord, be with them, we pray. Bless our night. Thank you, Lord, again. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.